what's allowed to ask aloud? And kids ask really terrific questions, really deep and profound questions. In fact, they ask a lot of questions that we ourselves are asking. Yo, what's up? Hey, congratulations, by the way. Congratulations, dude. Um, and so uh, the reason uh, we want to have this conversation is, one, to like, be able to share with our kids the hope that we have, but also to share with a world that is looking for hope, a world that's needing help, and also to have a confident understanding of our own faith. And this conversation is rooted a lot in what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, always revere Christ as Lord and be prepared to give everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, doing so, and this is very important, with gentleness and respect. We'll see that theme of gentleness and respect coming in. Uh, but just by way of review, I've been asked to kind of recap the messages throughout time. And so I'm going to do a quick recap of where we've been. We're the second to last message. But the first question we asked, a lot of our kids asked, is who is God and what does this Trinity mean? And our response to that is our one God is a, is, is a family of perfect love and we're invited in. Is a family of perfect love. Well, then why did God create the world? Well, love by its very nature Oh, check the mic. Oh, okay. Here's a question I had planned for later. You can do it right now. What, question, what questions do you have? Take a moment and share with your neighbor. Hey, what's some questions that you actually have that you'd be interested in talking about? Let us know. Maybe you can put it in the connection card. So uh, we believe questions are really important. They're really important if they allow us to take us to God. We believe in a very rational and reasonable faith. So some of the questions we've been tackling is um, why did God create the world if he knew the world would be infected by sin? And, and the truth of that is God created anticipating brokenness and sin and death really is because he really, really loves us that he really likes us. God in his power could have created another world uh, that was perfect. The problem with that world is that it wouldn't have included us. And that's one of the reasons why there's sin and misery is that God wants us around. He wants to save us. It's a hard answer, but it's beautiful if you think about it. Our God's not erroneous. He just really, really, really likes you and me. And that's why he created the world. Love expands. It creates. It shares. It's like God was having a party within the Trinity, and he wanted to invite other people in. What's God's voice sound like, kids ask? It sounds like Jesus. It's a voice of perfect love. Then we ask the hard question, why do some people die before they're old? It's a question that kids ask. And our answer, and this is a fine answer, is we don't know. We don't have every answer. We don't know the answer to that. However, we're choosing to trust God who loves me and loves that person who's going to right all wrongs one day. We, we, we trust a God who's okay with our anger and our sadness, even if it's directed towards God. This is the God we serve. We trust Jesus knowing that God grieves at death. 
And he wants to carry us through grief, though we may always be forever wounded. We asked the question, what is heaven like? And Larry gave us that song, oh, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And one day we'll see our Savior face to face. Oh, I don't know how to sing that song, but that's the hope of heaven. Thank you. Thank you. That's the hope of heaven. But heaven, uh, here's the deal with heaven. We're not to be too heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And the hope of heaven actually propels us to cause today that we're here to bring heaven to earth through the way that Jesus brings love, food, a meal, mercy, healing. That's our cause. Heaven tomorrow propels us to cause today. Then Joyce covered it amazingly last week. Uh, why were there no girl disciples? What's up with that? And to which we said, nay, there are, there were girl disciples. That word, methetes, is, doesn't have any certain gender. A disciple is a pupil and follower of Jesus. And uh, therefore, it is, um, there were many women in Scripture who were known to be Jesus' disciples who called Jesus teacher. And we believe here that each person should lead with the gifts that God has given them. Men and women aren't exactly the same. We're unique. We're different. We need each other. But at the same time, each of us should lead fully as God leads us. And we believe that men should be stepping up to lead as well, beside our women, as it was in the beginning. And if you've missed the message, you can always check us out at thewatersedgechurch.org slash messages. Today we're talking about why sin. Very popular topic when you have all these guests. It's the sinny church. And does God still love me when? And then next week we have a really great guest speakers. They're going to be talking about why do we even go to church, which is an important topic in the midst of this pandemic season where all of us are a little bit have, have a little bit of church fatigue over a bit of the consumeristic product that is church. So again, I would love for you to consider what questions you do have and let us know on your connection card. We may not extend a series, but we'd love to have a conversation about that. And uh, yeah, so I'm moving along with today's question. This is a question my daughter Delaney asked me at one point. Uh, that's Delaney. She's the older one. And she asked me one night in bed, Daddy, what's wrong with me? Why do I sin? And the reason why she asked that is because she lashed out at the little one, Molly, at some point in that day. I think she pushed her into the bed or something. And, uh, we, you know, after we gave her a consequence, after we took away her treat or maybe her shell, uh, she came to me hours later and asked me that question. And there's a lot of beauty in that. And there's a lot of sadness in that. The sadness is that she was like internalizing her punishment as some shaming self-declaration of her worth. That I, 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 I'm a sinner. I stink. And we all have those toxic tapes in our heads. The beauty is that she brought that question to me. And that's so the heart of this conversation is that we bring our questions to God where I can speak worth over her. That no, you're my beloved and holy daughter, I love you. You are my sacred, sweet thing, my sweet girl. That even when you feel worthless, little child, you're worth dying for. That's the message of the gospel. Romans 5.8 says, while we're still sinners, while we are sink, we're worthless, Christ says you're worth dying for. And that might not answer the, the conversation we'll have in entirety, but it's a great start. It's a great start. So why do I sin? Does God still love me when? 
And I think it's helpful, and we've done this in the past, to define what sin is. It's a word that's used a lot. Sin essentially is our, it's our personal as well as collective failure to love God and others. It's our personal and, and collected shared failure to love God and others. It's the ways that we fail to love others as well as our actions against others. Scripture defines it as knowing the good that we ought to do and not doing it as well as lawlessness. It's our actions and inactions. It's the way that we fail to love God and others. And when you look at the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, when you look at the law, essentially it's summed up in how God loves us and saves us and how in response we love God and others. That's how you split the, old, uh, the Ten Commandments. It's loving God and loving others. When you look at the prophets, their concern is, is like our form of worship is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Jesus, his Sermon on the Mount, split into two categories, loving God and others. The Lord's Prayer right in the middle, same thing. It's a great commandment. And sin is our failure to do that. Not very popular to talk about on a child dedication Sunday. Sin seems like an ancient concept. It's backwards. But actually, if you look at it deeply, it gives a really, really beautiful diagnosis and a really difficult diagnosis of human nature. There's three common words we see in Scripture about sin. Iniquity, which just is defined crooked behavior. There's transgressions, which is our betrayal to others, the ways we betray others. And then there's sin, which is the most common. In the Hebrew, it's kata. It's not really a religious word at all. It just means to miss the goal. And we know what the goal is. What is the goal? Loving God and others. Joyce shared last week that each and every one of us are made in the image of God that you are sacred. You are immensely profound. You are not easily definable. Whatever the media says about you and me. You're not. And you are also designed with a deep, deep need. You are needy. I am a needy guy. If you knew me, you'd say, yeah, amen. That guy's needy. As our like, a, like an animal going to the water, our soul thirsts for God. And our hearts longings for, the, for, for God. Eternity is set on the human heart. Jesus prays on the night he's betrayed that he himself would be in us, that he would occupy us because he knows that's what our need is. And when we fail to treat others as sacred, when we betray somebody with our words, our actions, when we lump others into categories and a discriminatory, discriminatory tech category, dislikable or distancing. When we walk by someone in need, we're, we're missing the goal. We're sinning. We're kataing, as the Hebrew says. We're failing to love God and others. What's fascinating about the human project is we don't even know that we're missing the goal. Sometimes we think we're succeeding and we're missing the point completely. You see that in Scripture. Pharaoh, he's trying to build his national economy and his security, he does so by enslaving others. King Saul is looking to take a criminal and take him out. He doesn't recognize that this criminal is an innocent man, Jesus. The religious people in Jesus' times, they're trying to quell a rebellion and they kill the son of God. We think we're doing the right thing and we're way off. Today, we're grateful for our, we're grateful for our provision. For what we have, and we don't even recognize that our clothes and a lot of our products are made in sweatshops across the seas where they literally are enslaving people today. We can thank God for our daily bread. And if you eat like me, you fail to realize that you would need five to six more planets to sustain the ecological extraction that I take in if everybody were to eat like me. If everybody would be, live like Andy, you would need five or six more planets. It's wild. 
We, we say we're disciples of Jesus, but then we take in so much media that's designed specifically to villainize people. It's about us. And in truth, all believers, and if you don't believe, we're welcome here. We love that you're here. All believers, we do suffer from a hypocrisy gap. Our words don't always match up our actions, and that stings, but it's true nonetheless. And in that truth, our call is not to own our own righteousness, but actually to own God's righteousness and to come to Jesus, asking the Lord and the Holy Spirit to change our heart so that we can seek this kingdom of God now. That's how it works out. God's the one who does the work in and through our lives. We actually, as followers, are called to say, yeah, I don't have it all together. But with God, I do have it all. The other day, I threw manure in my buddy's car. Horse manure. Not in the bed, but in the cab. I was on a guy's uh, getaway weekend, and uh, some old buddies from college. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little weird. You probably get that by now. But we got away at the Outer Banks. And it's a sweet place. We went to the 4x4, which you have to drive on the beach about 20 miles north to get this spot. It's great. It's wildlife, turtles. I love turtles. Horses everywhere. And uh, just some great surf and some fishing. And uh, there's horse manure everywhere because there's wild horses. And so I used to, I, I don't know what it is about me, but I like to take the manure and like throw it in the air and be like, Outer Banks foam party and throw it at my buddies. And it's weird. It's weird. Pray for me. So my buddy was getting ready for a six-hour drive home. And I grabbed a piece of pretty dry manure. And I was like, he was rolling up his window, and I threw one at the side of the door, and he's like, ha-ha. He's like, don't throw it. And I threw it right as the window was cracking up. It was such a beautiful throw. <laughs> and it went into the crack. And he's quick. He's pretty quick. He's a big guy. And he blocked it. But the problem with that block is it just, like, shattered the manure in his car. Yeah, and um, it's funny until it wasn't. You imagine if I did that to your car? It was funny until it wasn't. It's so unfunny that we are in conversations right now about the feasibility of our relationship. And this is, I'm not kidding. I'm bringing some sin to you people. I shouldn't have done it. In the name of a good laugh, I really peeved off my buddy. And I've had to come to Jesus with this moment. I've had to be like, oh man, I made a mistake. That was a six-hour drive. And it's, it's, it's brought in a lot more stuff in our relationship. Um, but it, 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 was, it was a mistake. I made a mistake. As funny as it was, it wasn't funny. And, uh, yeah, in the name of a good laugh, I sin. So why do I sin? Why do we sin? Well, like childish and immature kids, we believe the life is all about me and mine about my security, my approval, my joy, and maybe mine, our, our extended family, our tribe. But even then, yeah, we, we believe that life is all about me. That's the original sin. And scripture says that without Jesus, we won't be able to grow up. That's what's going on. Paul says it this way, that we are slaves of sin, that it's a force, it's a principality that, that's not only in us, it's around us, and there's forces at work against us that want to enslave us. That 
it's a deeply embedded motives that on our own, we're, we can't do much without it. And so the good news is Jesus. Jesus is the one I had to come to before I talked to Paul. Jesus is the one we need to come to before we receive life and give life. Jesus is our creator God who lived a perfect life. He lived perfectly, loving God and others fully. But, and he did not miss the mark. He did not sin. We see that in his ministry. And then on the cross, he bore the full responsibility of our sin. He took it on, the ways that we fail to love God and others. He lived for us and died for us so that we could receive life through his death when he rose on that third day. I want to amen from somebody. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. That's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2. By his wounds we have been healed. That's what Isaiah says. Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, we have peace in Christ, was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So that's the, that's the answer to sin. That's the reason why we sin, that we believe life is all about us. And Jesus is like, I am all about you, but I want you to be free to love all of me and all of others. That's the beautiful paradox about it. God is crazy about us. He loves us, and he wants to free us so we can find life in loving others. But that follow-up question matters. Does God still love me when? And do whatever you can to fill in that blank. Does God still love me when I do this or when they do this? And that answer is yes. He does. And the way he treats us is wild. It says in Hebrews 5.2 that he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. That God deals gently with us. He's gentle. Because he himself was subject to weakness. He's able to empathize with us. He knows what we're going through because he took on humanity. God took on humanity. He knows what you're going through. See, what, what evokes the gentleness of God is not our sin. It's not at all. It's, what, it, it's the fact that we come to God. That's, that's the truth. As deep as our sinfulness may run, mine, 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 run, mine runs, runs deep. God's gentleness runs even deeper. That's how we respond to our kids. Our kids need to know that message, and our kids need to receive that message, that when they make mistakes, we are to be gentle with them. And I think a lot of people think about this. What about God's holy wrath? What's the deal with that? You hear about God being holy wrathful. What I want to say to that is that the deepest heart of God is he's never more drawn to us than when we sin. And yes, God withdraws from sin, but at the same time, God is drawn to you. The same holiness that God has that makes him withdraw from the actions we have is also the same holiness that draws, us to, uh, draws God to us. It's a paradox, but when you look at the life of Jesus, he's just drawn to others. Broken people, wounded wounders. That's who he is. He's drawn to me with patient gentleness. God's deepest impulse is loving kindness and gentle forgiveness. That's what it is. And I want some of that. So as you think about this case for God, my question for you, we have one more question is, how's God's gentleness been a part of your journey? Is this how you've received God? Is this who people have said God is? Or have they said something different? How has God's gentleness been a part of your journey? Has it? 
Can it be? My prayer is that it would be. If our kids need anything from us, if we need anything, it's gentleness, gentle love. I'm going um, to end today with one of Jesus' illustrations so we can have an idea of what this looks like. And Joyce brought this up last week, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do another throwback. She brought up the Rembrandt. She brought up this idea of God's parental nature being both uh, paternal and maternal as you look at the hands of God taking hold of this lost and wounded child who's come home, come to God, making it clear that this is the portrait of God. And there's a great book called Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen that describes this book and gives a great commentary on this parable I'm about to read. But that's who God is, parental, gentle, loving, and kind. I'm going to read this parable so that we can see that in real time. It's Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Again, he's drawn. That's who he's drawn to. Jesus continued. There was a man, he's telling these uh, Pharisees, essentially, a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Essentially, the son is saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I want what's mine, and I'm going my own way. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Essentially, pig herding is an unclean vocation. By the son doing this, he's renouncing his ethnic and spiritual identity. What's interesting about those pods is it's making a commentary that a life away from God is malnourishing. It's empty calories. And God's the one who wants to feed us and fuel us. The son, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He's not even looking for forgiveness. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, ran to his child, threw his arms around him or her, threw his arms around them and kissed them. See, nowhere in the ancient Middle East did patriarchs run, nowhere the king runs, but we see God's marked by binoculars looking out for each and every one of us, coming to us as we come to him. God's marked by running shoes. He runs. God runs to you. He's also marked by what we see as party balloons. The son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to become, be called your son. Almost a rehearsed speech. The father's reply doesn't have any of it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to party. They began to celebrate. It's a total reinstatement of his son. 
In fact, radical faith means us believing that God has, has always been our home and coming home. But there's a meanwhile. The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother's come back, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's shirking his responsibilities. He's essentially renouncing, renunciating his own dad in that moment. But the father's posture is the same. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The younger believes that he's a slave. The older believes he always was one. That's not God's view. My son, the father said, you always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's how the parable ends. The invitation is open. It always is open. What evokes God's gentleness is not our sin or the severity of our sin, but whether we come home, whether we come to God. And I've read this parable many times. I've preached on it quite a few times. And something that stuck out to me this time that's, I believe, true of human nature is these two truths, is that we are all looking for a safe place to come undone. Each and every one of us, man and woman, are looking for a safe place to come undone. That's who God is, to be naked, vulnerable, to bring our shame to God so he could just say, no, that's not part of you. You're part of me. And each of us also are looking for one other thing, someone who can help us. And that is who God is. That is who God is. He is here to help us. He's literally here to help each and every child. His gentle ways are also very powerful. Very powerful. God's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to help you do. In fact, it's God's work in our lives that enables us, that enables us, that frees us, that inspires us, inspires us to love God and others, to love others that God loves deeply. Amen? So the invitation for us is just to come to Jesus, whether we say we know him or not, to always come back when we fail short, when we throw crap around. To come to Jesus and be like, yes, I am your child, and I'm going to live within that dignity and impart your dignity unto others. Let's pray. So, Lord, we, um, we come to you, not as people who had all, have it all together, but people who need